0: Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, it's Christmas Eve. I'm going to get one more podcast out for this year, and that will be it until 2021. Before we get to my other comments and then on to the interview, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. Looking for a sewing machine that's both portable and powerful? Look no further than the legendary Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1. Take it to the marina, store it on your boat. The Ultrafeed goes where you go. This high-performing, heavy-duty machine sews both in zigzag and straight stitch. The Ultrafeed can handle your toughest jobs with absolutely zero loss of power or skip stitches. It breezes through up to 10 layers of Sunbrella canvas and 8 layers of Dacron sailcloth. With the most dependable all-metal internal components, the Ultrafeed is a piece of well-engineered machinery that's built to last. Sailrite has been building the Ultrafeed for over 20 years. This tried-and-true powerhouse machine comes with a 5-year limited warranty, and the best customer service in the industry. The machines are assembled, fine-tuned, and tested at Sailrite's manufacturing facility by a team of highly trained technicians. Every machine is calibrated and tested before it's shipped to guarantee both smooth operation and machine quality. Take your sewing skills to the next level with the Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1 sewing machine. Well, I got a letter yesterday, an email yesterday, from Corey. Corey wrote, I've listened to your podcast for a couple years, primarily because I knew as a young man I'd take up the sailing life later. Just wanted to introduce myself. As I have a feeling our paths will cross at some point in time, I've worked and lived in Europe, Norway, and Germany. Come from a five-generation San Francisco Bay Area family. And have traveled extensively through your neck of the woods in Utah. Great state and wonderful people. Aside from cycling, and he gave me a link to his latest Tour de France ride, my primary recreational focus is on all things water related. For example, our master craft in Tahoe for water skiing, wakeboarding, etc. So sailing seems like a natural progression as life moves on. I've been looking at a 40 to 50 Foot Beneteau, some hunters. Very early stages may purchase in Europe. A good friend that owns hotels and a lot of land in northern Germany introduced me to a Hoswell, gorgeous boat as well. Just sent a LinkedIn request to you. It would be nice to highlight a post for you in the future. I have a small following, about sixteen thousand, so might be some nice additional exposure for you. Cheers, Corey. So, Corey, I just, uh, about two weeks ago, I deleted my LinkedIn account. I got off Twitter and I uh, I deleted my LinkedIn account. So I don't really have a LinkedIn account anymore. I found over the years that they basically just wasted my time. I did get one interview from LinkedIn for the podcast Uh, But other than that, it's a lot of people from China and India that seem to want me to be their friend on LinkedIn that I have no relationship with. But, Corey, if you're in Salt Lake or if I get down to San Francisco at some point in time, I'd love to have a beer with you or a cup of coffee. So just go ahead and write me back if you're ever coming to town. (laughs) But LinkedIn is gone for me. I just decided that LinkedIn was just like Facebook and Twitter, just a data gathering operation. You know, if you don't pay for it, you're the customer. And I calculated that every Twitter account was worth about $235 to Twitter. So I took my two hundred and twenty $235 away from Twitter and put it at Parler. That's the new um, Twitter-like Uh, account that I use because I don't like the censorship that I see in most social media. I'm really getting upset with YouTube as well, but the trouble is YouTube has so many do-it-yourself videos there that there's no other competing outlet such as Odyssey or BitChute that has those yet, but I will be looking more and more on Odyssey. I think there's another one called Library or Elbrary or something like that. And bit shoot for those type of videos in the future. But right now, I still go to <laughs> YouTube a lot for my do it yourself videos. All right, a little story on the ranch. Last podcast, I told you that I was going to be replacing my glass in the door of my tractor by myself. And by the glass, I mean the plastic sheet that you see through out the door. It had broken. I told you that story. And the awning company was going to charge me $175 to fix it. So the killer was it was going to be three weeks to wait before they would bother getting around to it. And so when they told me it was going to be three weeks, I said, no, just sell me the plastic, I'll do it myself. Because I've got a Sailrite sewing machine. I already had it set up with Tenera Thread, and uh, so I brought the plastic up to the ranch and it took me literally ten minutes to sew in the new glass. <laughs> Just think of that—ten minutes. So their value, if they were—and and I'm not an expert seamstress. I'm not an extra. I'm not an expert sewer. So if it took me ten minutes, and they were going to charge me a hundred and seventy-five dollars, they're valuing their time, and of course, materials was about twenty-two dollars of that they're valuing their time at around $800 an hour. So I saved a lot of money by just doing it myself, and it really was very easy to do. Just thought I'd share that with you. Now, as far as the ranch, I'm trying to build a garage up there for next year. We live up there permanently, and I'm never going to be happy living at the ranch until I have my workshop at the ranch. I hear some static in the background. I don't know what that is. Hopefully, you're not as well, but that's why I just paused there. Let me play with a few things here first. Maybe it's this. Ah, that's what it was. It was the uh, power cord to my iPhone. Then I use my iPhone for the intro music and the exit music. All right. Anyway, so so I'm trying to build a a garage up there, a little garage, sixty-five feet wide by forty feet deep. And I am going to actually store some (laughs) some vehicles. I've got a four-wheeler up there that I need to store. I've got a tractor I need to store. I've got a couple of vehicles I need to store. I want to buy a snowmobile so in the winters I can actually enjoy myself out there. And so, first of all, because it's larger than our government officials want me to build, I had to apply for a conditional use permit, Well, that went through, and we had sent out letters to all my neighbors, which are all my wife's relatives up there. And then that cost, uh, I think it was $700 just to apply for that conditional use permit. Then I get a note from the planning department up there, said, oh, we're rejecting it because your garage has to be behind your house. So let me tell you a little bit about the property. When we bought this one-acre lot, we bought it from my wife's family's corporation, Uh, They own this whole valley uh, between a couple different parts of the family. It amounts to almost 1,000 acres. And we have uh, one of the major rivers in Utah running right down through our property, and we own both sides of the river for about two miles up this valley. So it's a beautiful, beautiful area, just gorgeous wildlife everywhere. We're seeing weasels this winter, white weasels running around, which I've never seen before. And my uh, <laughs> my nephew, is it my nephew? Yeah, my nephew has a chicken coop with chickens up there. And I hope he can keep that weasel out of that chicken coop because weasels are notorious for just getting in and killing chickens. Anyway, we see lots of wildlife, elk, bear, porcupine, ground squirrels, and so forth and so forth. And uh, it's a beautiful valley. And our house is about halfway up this valley. Uh, To get to our house, you have to go through a private gate, drive up about a mile, and then take a a spur off of the main road that goes up the valley and go down to my house. And you can't see my house from the road, uh, the, the, the road that goes up the valley. I have a lot of aspen, pine, fir, and cedar on the lot. So it's a nicely wooded lot. So when we built the house, there were no restrictions on where we could put the house except some very minimal setback requirements. So we had a choice of locating our house in the middle, the front, or the back of the yard. And logically, we wanted to be at the back of the yard where it was overlooking the beautiful river that runs down through our valley. Makes perfect sense to me. Well, come and come. and <laughs> that's not the way the, uh, the bureaucrats look at it since we built our house, they've adopted a new code. And according to the new code, you can't put a garage in front of the house. And they consider that our house faces the road. And we say our house faces the river and we're approaching the house from the, from the rear. Uh, So they, they said, no, no, you can't. So that stopped me dead in the water. Well, I applied for a variance, which is another $500 just to apply for the variance, and now I'm waiting for that. Let me tell you how I feel about planning commissions. They are people designed to steal your property rights. They want to create a neighborhood in their vision, not in your vision. Anyway, a few years ago, they adopted what's called the Universal Building Code, And they said, oh, it's great. It's universal. It's the same all around the nation. And I said, that makes absolutely no sense. We live in a desert. Why should we in Utah, living in a desert, be required to put in the same mold and um, damp moisture codes that you would in the southeast? We have no termite problem in Utah. We have no mold problem in Utah. But that's what the universal code is. It makes everything more expensive. I think regional codes make much more sense, or local codes even more, or no codes at all, and let you build the house that you want to build and you're responsible for it. Anyway, uh, I'm not too happy with them. We'll see if I can get this uh, variance. I applied for a variance. If we can get the variance through, then I'll proceed with building my project next summer. My wife said, well, uh, if you plan on going sailing for three months next summer, when are you going to find time to build your garage? And I hadn't thought about that. But um, I'll deal with that if they actually finally give me my permit. Now, I have an alternative plan. I actually own two lots, two one-acre lots, one's adjacent to the next. And our plan is to pass both lots on to our children at some point in time. We'll never sell them. And if I have to, I'll build my garage on the other lot. (laughs) And um, I don't really want to because I'd rather leave that lot alone for the uh, person that we end up giving that to to deal with and to build on as they see fit. But if if the planning department doesn't give me what I want, I can still get what I want. It just may take another year to get it up there. So that's all I have to say about uh, what's going on at the ranch right now. Heading up later today. I'm buying a new car. I've got uh, two cars. Well, I've got <laughs> we've got <laughs> between the two of us, we got four cars. We got my wife's Rav four. I drive an old Lexus LS four hundred, which is absolutely terrible in the winter. It's a V eight with rear wheel drive. It it rides like a dream. I drove it back and forth to Indiana this year. It's got about a hundred and 70,000 miles on it. Then for the winter, I've been driving an old Land Cruiser, a 96 Land Cruiser back and forth to the ranch when it's getting uh, too deep to try to get my Lexus up there. Well, both these vehicles are getting old, and I decided it's time to get a new vehicle, so I went and bought a, uh, a Lexus RX 350, which is an all-wheel drive. And with that, I'll go ahead and sell my Land Cruiser, uh, 96 Land Cruiser, and uh, I think it's a 99 Lexus LS 400. So if anybody's looking for a used Land Cruiser uh, with uh, a lift, ARB front and back bumpers, and a winch, a worn winch on it, get a hold of me. All right. All right, let's get on to the interview. I can't even tell you what interview this is because I recorded it a while back, But we're going to both find out as I attach it to this uh, file and get it up loaded for you. Have a great holiday season. And write me franz1 at medsailor.com if you have any thoughts or suggestions. Until next year. I'm on Skype with Aaron Carey. Aaron Carey reached out to me a while back and suggested that I might interview uh, the people from Sailing Ruby Rose and also uh, the yacht. Ocean Fox. And I've done that with both of them. I think Ocean Fox is coming out next week. Sailing Ruby Rose came out a couple weeks ago. And it turns out that Aaron is a publicist for both Ruby Rose and and Ocean Fox. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I've never heard of YouTube channels actually hiring a publicist. I go to Sundance Film Festival every year, and I'm inundated by uh, publicists trying to get publicity for their films, but I've never ran into anybody that tries to get publicity for YouTube channels. So I thought that's an interesting story to tell. So I wanted to get to know you. Aaron. tell me your story. Tell me, first of all, are you a sailor? How did you learn to sail? And, and let's talk about what you're up to.
1: Sure. Hi, friends. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Very excited to be here. Um, yeah, like you said, I am a publicist, but I wasn't a publicist until I started sailing. So it's actually a bit of a long story. But if we go right back to the start, uh, we also weren't sailors until maybe maybe about four years ago when we watched a documentary one evening uh, about Laura Decker, the youngest girl to ever sail around the world. And at this stage, we were just your regular parents. We have three little boys and... You know, we lived in the suburbs, with in a nice house with a big mortgage, and you know all of the regular things that people of um, our age do in our late thirties. And something in that documentary just really resonated with the, with the both of us. My husband and I kind of sat in silence. I think with our jaws kind of on the ground for some reason. I just I don't even remember what it was about. I just remember sunsets and. The, the water and how calming it all felt and her crossing oceans. And, and at the end of the documentary, we just looked at each other and went, wow, let's do it. <laughs> it's really, really weird because, you know, what are the chances that both a husband and wife would feel the same at, at the exact same time and want to do the same thing? Often it's probably one or the other pushing harder and the other one's more dragged along or doing it just to support, to, to support often the husband. So yeah, that was the start of our dream and two years and two months later, we, sailed, we sorry, we flew from Adelaide where we live in Australia to Grenada where we saw our boat, um, which we named Rome for the very first time. And then we spent the next almost two years sailing around the Caribbean and we crossed the Atlantic Ocean. So keep in mind that we weren't sailors, but 18 months later, we sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. And our boat is now in the Azores. So I think you guys call it the Azores, tiny little islands off the coast of Portugal. And that is where she sits today waiting for us. So we're back in Adelaide, Australia now. We've been back for just over a year. Uh, It was meant to be six months, but then coronavirus had other ideas. And we've literally just sold our house. So we're moving out in a couple of weeks and then we're going to... To prepare and save for a few months living with my husband's mum and then we go back to our boat permanently so we're very very excited but I didn't explain how my business actually came about so the way that that happened was we were sailing around the Caribbean and actually at the, the very beginning of our trip before we'd even splashed our boat we met S B Delos and I knew that they were going to be in Grenada. So everywhere we went, I was basically on high alert because we were huge fans of theirs. They were a huge inspiration to us in the lead up to our journey. So every time we went to the supermarket or a bar or a beach, I'd, I'd be on the lookout. And as luck would have it, we bumped into them in the local supermarket and they were just really nice people. Brady gave me his number and said, "If you need anything, give us a call." And if you know if you've got any questions, and then they invited us to go and play volleyball on the beach with them that night. And then um, we just kind of kept bumping bumping into them. And because you know Grenada's south, the natural path or the route to go is to head north. We kept seeing them. You know, pretty much every island we'd go to, we'd run into them. And uh, by this stage. I had been, we'd been out for maybe almost 12 months on the water, and as, um, as it happens, our budget didn't last as long as we were hoping it to, and uh, I was trying to rack my brain for ways to make money, and I came up with doing freelance writing, and I had a, have a background in doing interviews, so I thought, well, I'm just going to interview amazing people that I meet along the way on my journey, and of course, SV Dallas for one of the first interviews that I did. And we went on to their my husband and I, and we got to sit with them for a couple of hours and interview them, which was really amazing because, you know, to us, these guys were like rock stars. We didn't idolize movie stars. We idolized real people who were doing these amazing things and they were directly responsible for inspiring us to get out there. So to be able to sit with them and chat with them for a couple of hours was really amazing and then um, not long after that, they reached out to me and said, "Hey, we we need some help with general kind of marketing and adminy things. Would you like to help us?" And that was, you know, like a dream come true for me to to think that Dellas wanted to work with me, little old me. It was it was amazing. And uh, from there, it kind of intuitively grew to PR because what I started doing for them was reaching out to publications and podcasts and trying to basically spread the word about these amazing people that were doing these amazing things. And um, then I kind of realized, you know what, I love this. This is really naturally what I'm good at. And I felt like I had finally found my career because Back in Australia, I worked for the Australian government. I was in a communications kind of role, but it was definitely not my own business. I didn't get to have any kind of creative freedom over it. Um, So then to be able to kind of start my own business and do with it what I want and choose my niche, which I chose to be adventurers, travel and marine brands and experts, I was like... Getting to interact with these amazing people every day. That was my job. And I was like pinching myself, going, I really am so lucky to be able to start my own business on our boat and continue traveling. And I get to do what I love every day. So that's how it kind of came about. And then, so that was about two years ago now. And it's just grown now into a fully fledged agency. And we've got a team around the world and we help all sorts of people in the same niche, adventure, travel and marine field. And, um, yeah, we love it. And that is what is going to support us when we head back to our boat next year that um, I'll be completely or our family and I will be completely location independent because of the peer agency that I started on our boat.
0: So does your your husband work with you in the company?
1: He doesn't, know. PR is the furthest thing from his personality. <laughs> he he listens to what I do and he goes, I physically feel ill at what you do. It's completely opposite to him and that's okay. He actually does do some freelance writing and he'll probably do that when we head back to the boat um, and he might do a bit of writing for me here and there, but no, that is not in his wheelhouse of expertise at all. He'll be Mr Fix It. And he will be the homeschool teacher, which suits me just fine.
0: Okay, so you've divided up the the rule, the responsibilities, then. Okay,
1: exactly.
0: So let's talk about um, your trip, your first trip. You bought the boat in Grenada, and you sailed across the Pacific. Is that right? No, across
1: the Atlantic. Oh, okay, so we okay, okay. All right. We went from, yeah, west to east across the Atlantic. We left from St. Martin in the Caribbean and we sailed across towards Portugal, but we didn't quite make it all the way to Portugal. We stopped off in the islands of the Azores.
0: Okay, okay. And, that, I was confused. For yeah. some reason, because you're in Australia, I assumed you were sailing it back to Australia. So No, we in re- the
1: opposite direction. Okay. We actually wanted to buy a boat in the Mediterranean but uh, the perfect boat came up in the Caribbean so we thought oh well let's just sail back there I think that was in my mind when I pictured our adventure from the very beginning I pictured sailing past um you know Positano and the Amalfi coast and around the Greek islands and I I don't think I could have Uh, what's the word, I couldn't quite let it go. I thought if we sailed the Pacific, it's always going to be this little niggling regret. So um, everyone else was happy to, we wanted the challenge of crossing an ocean. We bought our boat in mind for crossing an ocean. We could have got a production boat, but we purposely chose uh, a Moody 47, um, big old strong, thick hull hull. perfect boat for crossing an ocean. And actually she'd already crossed the ocean seven times before us. So we almost just, you know, put her in autopilot and <laughs> she took us across the, the Atlantic. Um, but we, we actually got very lucky as well. We had very good weather and we hired our weather router and everything went quite well. So, I mean, it wasn't without its challenges. A few things did certainly go wrong, but overall... Um, we had an amazing crossing, and it 's definitely something that we want to do again. So I think when we get back to our boat we 'll continue into the Mediterranean and we 'll sail to towards Turkey and Greece, and then we 'll turn around and go all the way back to Australia.
0: All right, so the Azores are you in Horta then? Is that where you 're to winter the are boat
1: we, are we what sorry
0: which 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 marina are you out in the Azores?
1: Uh, yeah, we're on the island of Tessera in um, Pryor. So gorgeous okay. little islands. Can't wait to go back.
0: Okay, okay. Now, are you on the hard or are you in the water over there?
1: We're on the hard, yeah. So the boat's been on the hard now for um, 15 months. So it's not ideal. By the time we go back, she would have been on the hard for around 18, 19 months. So we're just hoping that everything still works.
0: Okay. I did notice today that they've extended the VAT uh, situation for boats uh, because of the COVID. Really? Yeah. Well, it it, it, it was was actually an article I saw in Noonsight. But you're supposed to apply for exemption before your 18-months ride runs out. So my boat's in Italy, and I couldn't find a place to actually request an extension. So I just wrote a letter to the customs people. I said, hey, I'm requesting. This is my formal request. So I don't know if they'll do anything with it. But at least I've dotted my I's and crossed my T's. So that was interesting. Oh, yeah, there's an in, yeah, there's an article in Noon site and I'll try to send you the link to it so you can take a look at it. And it refers to the actual document from the uh, European Union where they're extending that. Uh, VAT importation tax because of this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because we were stressing about that, and it's so hard communicating with someone on the opposite side of the world who doesn't speak English via email and asking complicated questions. And there's a lot writing on that, that his reply. I mean, the VAT on our boat, I think, would be about twenty thousand Australian dollars, and that's a lot of money to have to pay. And we certainly, you know, there's no no part of us that wants to pay that. So, we we sent a lot of emails and um, kind of even called and did all we could to try and get a straight answer about the VAT. And in the end, we just kind of had to trust him because he said it's all fine. Don't worry about it. We went all right, this makes us really nervous, but okay, we just have to trust you because there's really not a lot else we can do from here. So to know that there's an official document out is really helpful. I will jump on and have a
0: look for sure. Yeah. All right. So I'm looking at uh, the Moody 37. I've seen a lot of those boats uh, sailing around the Mediterranean over the years, and I'm surprised you found it in – in the Caribbean, because I would think that you'd see more of these over in the Mediterranean waters. I don't. Where is the Moody built? I think it's built in Britain, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yes, it's an English boat, and uh, we bought it off a Irish family. So they started in Ireland, and they did the Atlantic circuit and ended up in the Caribbean. So they were they got they arrived in Grenada and went. You know what we love it here. We're staying and I don't blame them. I think it's probably lucky that we started in, in Grenada because we might not have ever left. I absolutely loved it there, and it's still probably, out of everywhere we've been, my number one place in the world. Um, yes, yeah, so bought it off this Irish family and sailed her back towards the So when we got her to the Azores, we ran out of money, and we just had to come home by that stage. But we also knew that... If we wanted to sell the boat, there'd be no way we could sell her in the Azores. Well, it would be very unlikely. Um, And it would make sense to get her back to the Mediterranean because I think we'll have a better chance of being able to sell an English boat over that way. So that's our plan now to get maybe into the Mediterranean. Don't want to say too much. but um, We're hoping to then sell her and buy a catamaran.
0: Everybody's going to catamarans. And I hate I them know. when they come into marinas. They take up the yeah, whole they- damn marinas. But everybody wants catamarans now. <laughs> I know. That,
1: yeah. There's just something about them. the space, especially with three boys now. They're going to. They're growing quite big. With our boat's only two cabin. Like, don't get me wrong. It would definitely be fine, and we would make it work. But we sold the house, and I kind of feel like, look, if we sold the house. I want to. I want to get a catamaran because that's really the main reason why I was happy to sell the house with the thought that we're going to have a catamaran, we'll have a cabin each, we're going to have space. And, um, yeah, I just imagine sailing through the Pacific in a cat. I think that'll be pretty sweet. So don't want to jinx ourselves. Hopefully it happens, but you know, either way, it's going to be an amazing voyage and, um, it'll it'll be just as great in our moody. So we'll see what happens.
0: So I have ran into many, Aussies that have bought boats in Croatia and are sailing them to Australia to sell. There's a there's a big arbitrage between the two countries on boats, apparently. And you're going the opposite direction. You're going back to the Mediterranean to sell your boat.
1: Yeah, look, if we d- could sell our Moody back to Australia, we would definitely make money on that. But it's just too far to go. Um, if we buy a catamaran in uh, the Mediterranean. It could be, say we bought a catamaran for $300,000. Um, we would definitely make money sailing it back to Australia. The A similar catamaran might go for 500000 in Australia. So, yeah, it's worth it. It's a long way to go. You'd have to do your sums, but I know plenty of people do do that. Um, and it, it worked out for a lot of them.
0: Hmm. Hold on a second here.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm just going to change positions in my chair.
0: Well, so that's you know, all right. Not hear right. the creaks. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to close down my uh, my email program because I keep getting these notices of emails coming through. I'm not even going to edit this out. It's just going to be part of the podcast. But that's uh, that's why I said, hold on a second. Okay, that's closed down. So I'm not going to get all those dings letting me know there's a new email that just came in. Okay, so how much just out of curiosity for your boat on the hard in the azores can you give me a, a, an estimate on what it's costing you cuz i'm right in the today i'm actually in the process of trying to line up my next marina for wintering the boat taking it out of the, the water and putting it on the hard and where i'm at in northern italy it's probably the least expensive i found anywhere and it's about 1800 uh dollars Per year, or probably about sixteen hundred euros, where I'm at, and I'm kind of curious because I would think the Azores would be rather expensive.
1: Uh yes, you put me on the spot here. I'm just quickly trying to look in my phone. I don't need. See, I don't need
0: actual numbers. Um, just just <coughs> off the top of head. Yeah, just off the top it of your is, head. Well,
1: it is definitely more than that. I think
0: it. But my boat's off ten. The top of my, my head.
1: It was about three thousand
0: euro. Yeah. Yeah. My boat's ten. You, my my boat's a twenty eight foot boat, and your boat's a thirty seven foot boat. So there's a big a part of the difference right there. So, but three thousand yeah. doesn't sound unreasonable. Yeah, but,
1: and I, I also think that paying for the stands. Well, I know for a fact that the stands cost more than the actual storage of the boat. But don't quote me what it costs altogether. Um, yeah, and then when you convert it to Australian dollars, it's obviously a lot worse. Uh, I think that's just something that I have put to the back of my mind and went, I don't want to know <laughs> because it's, it's it's quite a lot of money and it's one of those things that you really just have no choice because if you don't pay it, what, what happens with your boat? Yeah, so they,
0: get, they get your boat. The joys right. of owning a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're going to get back on the boat probably, my guess, is probably no earlier than than April or May and then continue on. Do you have an agenda laid out yep. for the summer?
1: That's right. So Dave's going to fly over in March and he's going to start working on the boat. It needs a, a new bottom job and no doubt, uh, you know, many other things done to it. And <laughs> we've lived in the, on the hard. We lived in the hard in Grenada for six weeks. And with three kids, that was just um, difficult <laughs> and uh, this time around we've decided that he's going to go by himself and try and get a lot of the work done. And then the kids and I will fly over a few weeks later. So that will bring us into mid-April. And then we'll do um, – hopefully by then the boat will be splashed and we can do some shakedown cruises. We'll head down to Ponta Delgada uh, on the next island. And then, yeah, we'll push off and head head over – to complete our Atlantic crossing, and um, that's about another week of sailing. Uh, and I, that will be whenever we get a weather window, hopefully May, early May or mid-May, um, depending. When we did our crossing from the Caribbean to the Atlantic, we left at the start of June. Uh, it was a little bit later than a lot of the other boats because the research that we'd done, um, kind of indicated that you could get lighter winds if you left at the start of June, and we that's that sounded good to us. We had plenty of fuel, so we had enough fuel that motoring wasn't going to be an issue. But we didn't want to encounter 50 knot winds, so it really worked out really well for us, and we had a beautiful passage for most of it anyway. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll look to do the same next time. But obviously, like you're mindful that. The later you leave, the more of the season you're into. So we'll try and leave as soon as we can with, the, you know, a good weather window.
0: Yeah. Okay. So how old are your boys or your children? Are they, they all boys? They're, you said they're yeah, all boys, all they, right? Yeah.
1: They are 6, uh, 10, and 11. So when we first left, the little one was 3. Um, And so he didn't really remember when we arrived back home to our house. He was like, that's not our house. And he didn't know what a bath was. He's like, what's this? Because he just couldn't remember ever living in a house. Um, So, yeah, now he'll be seven, almost seven when we go back. And the other two will be 10 and 12. So, yeah, they're getting to the age that we knew we had to do this sooner rather than later because – Hamish is due to start high school in a year and we just um, thought if we don't go now not only will our boat be have, have been having been sit on the on the hard for too long um, and we didn't want to leave her another year on the hard because you know boats don't like being left on the hard and it would just be too difficult to get back into it and life really does suck you in when you get back here and a lot of people plan on going back but never do because it's it's really hard to kind of break those shackles for the second time and leave for a second time um but we we decided that we definitely want to do that and I think we've been really lucky having come back it's really opened our eyes but it's The first time when we left, we thought that we'd like the boat and it's you never really know. You don't know how you're going to react to living on a boat and basically being in a pressure cooker and all of the challenges that come with living on a boat. Um, But we found that we loved it. Uh, But then at the end of it, the kids were ready to come home, which is really interesting because they had an amazing time on the boat. But in the Azores, there weren't many children there. And I think that they were just, uh, we were all pretty tired. And I think I've heard from plenty of other people that it's pretty common that you kind of just need a break from the boat every couple of years. So we came home and everyone thought it was great for the first little bit. And the boys were saying things like, oh, we never want to go back to the boat, which, which really hurt me. But, you know, I was just like, oh, they're just kids. They don't really know what they're saying. And then as time went on, they started saying things like we missed the boat and we started talking and playing games and trying to remember things on the boat and we'd do quizzes and I'd say oh do you remember what color the saloon was and they'd all jump in and you know yell out the color and then I'd say oh, do you remember how to do a radio call and they'd all go yes we remember we you know you call on channel 16 for an emergency and it was yeah we all just started really reminiscing about the boat and we've got this one video that I made that we would just start watching all of the time, and it, we kind of realized that you know what? I think that boat life is for us, at least for the next little bit. We we weren't that happy, We're not that happy, just sitting in Australia. I mean, granted, it's been coronavirus, so it's not been a normal year. There's been a lot of um, things that we haven't been able to do since being back, and. Um, you know, restrictions as far as travel and everything goes. But the, the nine to five and the rat race have really pulled us apart. We don't see a lot of each other. The kids have really changed since being home. It's just rush, rush, rush. I'm cranky and stressed all the time. And, yeah, we just... We want adventure, we miss that feeling of, you know, when you, you're sailing and you turn the motor off and it's a sunny day and I, I just don't remember feeling like that even once since I've been home and or the feeling of when you're going through, uh, you know, a bit of a, a bumpy ride and you stand out on the, on the bowsprit and you put your arms out and you just really feel alive and the salt sprays in your face. I haven't felt like that once, and I really miss the feeling of being alive and being really in the moment and in touch with nature. And yeah, we're all really excited to go back now.
0: <laughs> I'm at your website, RomeGeneration.com dot com, and that's the website mm-hmm. for your uh, for your PR firm, which is called Rome Generation mm-hmm. PR, and it's not showing me pictures of your boat and any of your adventures there, but I get, do you have another website for that?
1: Uh, I do. I mainly kept it on Facebook. So if everyone wants to follow our adventure on Facebook, we're at sailing to Rome. So sailing T O R O A M. And uh, I, I was pretty good with that. I, I, updated it every, you know, um, couple of times a week and I Told it all warts and all I said the good and the bad and I had a really lovely like loyal following of people who really got into our journey and were really supportive um, because you know living on a boat and traveling with kids there are lots of hard times and yeah I wrote all about it which I really enjoyed and I think that's probably what made me realize that I enjoyed writing and then Um, actually a few people from that page said you know you should you should get into writing and I had never even considered it before that so it's probably thanks to that Facebook page that I started writing and then I contributed and I still do contribute to most of the sailing magazines around the world so I never never ever would have thought that I would do that actually I never would have thought I would have done a lot of things in the last few years but going on our adventure really was life changing for us. So I think that's why even though selling the house was scary, I think we know it becomes easier to take risks uh, and do big things once once you start. And the you know the first one obviously was going the first time around. And that worked out. And that was life changing and it made all of our lives better and we absolutely loved it. So I think we are more open now to trying different things, and whilst selling the house uh you know it's a risk. we kind of feel that it it will be fine, and we can get another house one day if we want to you know get a job, get a mortgage it it's it, it we can do that again most people um never try to just see what else is out there and if we are free of a mortgage and we're really free of anything we can stumble upon things on our way and that's how it works being on a boat you meet so many incredible people who have ideas or suggestions or they have tried something or done something and you know that's that's just how it works so i've always said we might stumble across a um a, a hotel that needs managing for a few months or we might renovate a property or you know Crazy things like there might be a castle. You know, you hear these stories that castles are for sale for one euro if a family just moves in there and renovates it. Who knows? The exciting thing is all of those things will be able to be open to us because we won't have any ties to anywhere in the world. And that, yeah, that's exciting. That's
0: great. All right, let's talk about your your PR firm. And I was a little confused. Mm -hmm. You said you interviewed Delos. Was that for your? youtube channel do you have a podcast what was the interview for a youtube interview what was it for
1: it was to write an article so i interviewed Ah, them i think one of the first articles i wrote was how um what was the subject it was it was along the lines of it how easy or hard is it to make money through youtube because i was really quite fascinated we were meeting all these youtube sailors And they always seemed really busy. They spent so much of their time either down below editing or in cafes and libraries and places like that trying to upload their videos for days on end. And um, I always wondered how, how do they make that work? When I started writing, I, you know, made money almost straight away and I'm, I'm not a writer. So I'm like, well, if I can make this work, surely... Most people, if you can string a sentence together, you can work on writing and get better at it. The more that you practice, the better you get. So I I was just a bit interested um, why people chose that way to make money when I thought that there seemed to be other ways that seemed to be less work. So I interviewed uh, a stack of YouTubers. Most of them were over email. Um, But, yeah, because Delos were in person, I really got to dive deep into why they do what they do and for them. And for most people that I interviewed it, it was enlightening because they showed me that they did it because they loved it. And uh, people would often say to us, why don't you start a YouTube channel? And you know, what? it's just, I'm not, that's not my passion. I'm not really artistic. I wouldn't know where to start to create a video. And I found another way to make money and another passion. And You know, I'm doing a similar thing in that I'm working on my boat and making money to support us to cruise, but I've chose to do it through running a PR agency. And I don't think there really are many other, or I'm not sure of any others, correct me if I'm wrong, um, people doing the same thing on a boat. So I kind of want to become the go-to person in the sailing and marine and travel adventure space. uh, and what better person to help promote your adventure business or your travel business or your sailing business than someone that is living on a boat and sailing around the world. So, um, yeah, interviewing Delos really opened up lots and lots of doors for me and um, having them as a client is still like a bit of a pinch me kind of moment because, um We still watch their videos and still love everything that they put out. So they're actually putting out a documentary at the moment and I'm helping Brady promote that. Uh, It's a documentary about their journey sailing around Svalbard in the Arctic Circle and that comes out on the 11th of December. So to be involved in projects like that and things that I actually really feel passionate about, it's, it's, um, it's pretty exciting for sure.
0: So would you say that your firm is prime, it says all social media, but would you say your specialty is YouTube, promoting YouTube channels?
1: Um, I would say that, yeah, most of my clients at the moment are YouTubers. Um, I have mainly sailing YouTubers, but also a couple of travel YouTubers. And uh, other kind of clients that I work with are charter businesses, or um, expedition, like sailing expedition companies. And, um, yeah, I would say they would be the main kind of focus, but I can really, you know, PR can be done for anyone or anything. It's really just delving into the story and finding what makes that person or that product different and then um, digging into... The media and figuring out <clears throat> what angles we could use to promote that and to tell the story and to really um, get to the the why of the product or the person and um, share with everybody what what brought them to do that and what make what makes them an expert in that field or. Um, why Why should someone care about what you're telling us about or about this product and, and really selling that to, to the media? So and I know a lot of people probably don't actually understand what PR is. Um, basically how it works is that <clears throat> say you're a, a YouTube ch- uh, channel, uh, we would meet and you would tell me all about your channel. I would obviously watch some of your videos and know about you as well. And uh, we would... I would then give you a workbook to complete, which just asks questions about your background and your your why and the message that you're trying to get across and your mission and what you stand for. And just so that I can really understand um, what you're all about so that when I pitch the media, I have the right key messages and uh, once i know know you i then go away and do a pr strategy which is where we come up with a plan of the kinds of publications we're going to pitch the kinds of journalists and editors that we're going to pitch and the story angles that we're going to use and then i get to work so i a pitch is basically a three paragraph email that I send out to editors and journalists all over the world and depending on what the story is about that I'm trying to sell, depends on what magazine or um, online publication or newspaper we reach out to. So for example, this morning, I've just had a reply from the Boston Globe I've got a client who is living on a boat in France and they've been stuck in lockdown for like six months and they've not been able to leave the dock and the boat was brand new to them. So they've never once sailed their boat and they're an American family stuck in France. And so I just kind of um, created a, a catchy story that, that you can sum up in three paragraphs and sent that to a stack of, pub- of editors and journalists and, yeah, somebody wrote back this morning and so now they, I will connect them with my client, they will be interviewed, and they'll have an article in the Boston Globe. And so that's how PR works. It helps to raise awareness so people learn about you through different mediums, so if they're used to seeing you on YouTube, they might start hearing you on podcasts and seeing you in newspapers and it's a cumulative effect. So the more that they start hearing and seeing you and you start sharing on your social media all the different newspapers and articles that have been written about you, people start to notice you and, and they start to, because it takes about seven times for people to see something about you before they really start to notice. So, by using PR it's it's not paid advertising we don't pay the newspaper to write an article about us and we have no control over what the article will be about. It's earned media and that's what makes it so exciting. So if you were to pay for an ad in the Boston Globe newspaper you would be looking at thousands and thousands of dollars uh, whereas if you work with a, P- a publicist we, we get you hopefully a range of different large publications and that's just for uh, like a monthly retainer. So PR is exciting. It has a really um, wide reach and it's great for building your authority and building if you're an expert or you want to become known as an expert in your niche, it's great for raising brand awareness and getting people to really notice you um, and, yeah, now that I've found it, I, I really love it and it's it's definitely something that I'm going to continue doing and I'm just excited to just continue to build my business because really in PR the sky's the limit and um, I'm just going to – I just have to find the right balance when we get on to, onto the boat because, you know, the whole reason of going on the boat is to also uh, – Live our life and feel freedom and adventure. So, it, it's just going to be a, a challenge, I think, to balance both. But that's that's my goal, and I'm pretty like goal orientated these days. So, I'm sure that we, we'll make it work. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I'll be doing this for a good while because I really love it.
0: What what would the rain? Okay, so you've got somebody. Let's say like uh, oh, just take some YouTuber. They come to you, they say, "We want you to be our publicist. How do you arrange the contract? What are you paid? What are the, you know what, what fees for services? Is it just a, a monthly retainer? How does it work? I mean, let's talk about dollars and cents, because yeah. we may have people out there listening yeah. to this say, "Hey, I'm going to give Aaron a call, but I want to so, get an idea." So yeah, go ahead.: yeah. It's, uh,
1: yeah, I work on a monthly retainer, <clears throat> and in PR, it's quite standard that uh, there's a minimum of six months retainer. In saying that, if, you know, you really only want three months, it's negotiable, but it's advised that you have six months and PR gets the best results when it's seen as a long-term strategy. There are no guarantees in PR, but based on previous clients that I've had all in the same industry, I've uh, quite successful. So, and the team that I have working for me each have 10 years of experience. So we've got um, some really great people and we get some great results. Uh, we've had... Um, people in, uh, I'm just trying to think now, Yahoo and the BBC and CNN and, um, oh, my mind's gone blank now, Boston Globe, as I've just mentioned, USA Today, which is the biggest newspaper in the world. So we've had lots of big results, which has been really, really exciting. Um, So, yeah, like I said, monthly retainer, and I've got the contract and everything set up. Uh, we would have a, an onboarding call. I would send you the contract. We would. I would also send you a list of assets because to work with a publicist, you really need to be ready to go because the minute that someone wants to interview you, you have to have your photos ready and you've got to have your website up and running and looking really professional. And so some people that come to me aren't actually ready for PR. They think that they are, but you need to have professional photos, and you need to have a really nice website, and um, you've got to be ready to put in the work as well. Because I think a lot of people think that having a publicist would save will save them time. In actual fact, I create work for my clients, so <laughs> it's important for them to know that you need to make time because if a, if a journalist wants to interview you, you need to basically reply straight away and be available to do the interview. And often these days, they want people to reply via email, which it's time-consuming writing responses to 10 questions, um, but that's it's good that people know before starting with me what's involved. Um, so yeah, monthly retainer, and I also like to work to people's budgets. So often I'll ask people what what is your budget, and then we'll try and work out um, what what we can do. Uh, but in general, I work around around fifteen hundred US dollars a month, um, give or take. So if people want a more encompassing service, then I can certainly put in a lot more time or. I dedicate an extra team member to the, the campaign. So we've got at least two people working on it at once or we can reduce the hours and make the, the fee less um, and obviously then they would get less results but still worthwhile. So yeah, that's, that's how it works and um, if anyone has any questions or just wants to have like a quick chat on the phone, obligations, we can definitely do that. And I can come up with some ideas of how I think we'd be able to help your particular channel or brand. And yeah, we can go from there.
0: All right. Sounds good. Anything else we should cover before we call it an interview?
1: Hmm. I think we've covered quite a bit. Um, I don't think so. I think everyone needs to go and watch SV Delos' documentary. (laughs) He's the (laughs) publicist coming out of me. I've always got to promote my clients. Uh, So that comes out on the 11th of December. It's a pay what's fair model. So if SV Delos have had an influence on you or have inspired you and you would like to Donate one, ten, twenty, a hundred dollars. Uh, it's pay what's fair model, which is really exciting and interesting. It's going to be um, really interesting to see how they go with that. And other than that, I think that that's everything.
0: Now, is that going to be on Venmo? How are they going to uh, broadcast it then?
1: Yes, it's going to be behind a paywall at series dot com. So. 8o n o r t h 0 dot com, And, um, yeah, like I said, they can go there now and check it out. But as of the 11th, it goes live, and that's when they can view it.
0: All right. Send me the link to that. I'll put that in the show notes. And anything else that you want to go in the show notes, uh, send it to me. And I will probably just copy some stuff from your website and throw it in there. But anything yeah. you want to go in the show notes to help people uh learn more about you and be able to watch this uh documentary, that would be great and thank you aaron yeah. let's let's talk again thank in you. after you're out sailing after you get over to the Mediterranean and see how your summer's going for you okay
1: yeah, definitely. We can compare the Caribbean to the Mediterranean and see how <laughs> see which one wins. <laughs> I can't wait to get to the Mediterranean. Um, but yeah if anyone wants to get in contact with me too, i'm just at rome generation basically at rome generation on instagram rome generation on facebook and www.romegeneration.com for my email address so if you google rome generation you'll find
0: me i did notice i'm looking at your website on under my story at romegeneration.com you've got links to all the magazine articles that you wrote so people can go there and read your magazine articles which is nice
1: yeah i do and that's just a few of them too so i've written quite a few if you google aaron Carey sailing uh, a lot of different articles come up about everything that i've written over the years and um yeah it's been a it's been a journey and i cannot wait to see where the where the ride takes us next year so watch this space
0: all right thank you very much
1: Thank you so much for having me, friends, and I look forward to um, catching up with you next year.
0: Okay. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.
1: Joel, you want to know something? What?
0: Every now and then, say what the... F- what the f- gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you
1: can't say it, you can't do it.